0: Um, so for those of you who weren't here last week, um, I am Fallon Barton, and I'm co-teaching with Becky, which is really great. I, my husband and I go to West End, um, which is cool. So we just found out earlier this week that that was finalized, that merger. We're really excited. I'm really excited that I get to be teaching with Becky over the next few weeks um, as a symbol of our, our unity as a community, which is really cool. So I've really enjoyed, um, Nate and I have really enjoyed being at West End for the last year. We just moved to Nashville last year. And we're really, really excited about this merger with Otter Creek. And I'm really excited to be here with you all today. Um, So before we get into MICA 2, does anyone want to offer some broad strokes things about last week? Anything you remember about MICA in general, about the Bible Project video, about MICA 1 specifically? Any sort of broad strokes memories (laughs) of what we talked about last (laughs) week? Anything about Micah? (laughs) So Micah preached 700 years before Jesus to the southern kingdom of Judah um, and was concerned a lot with injustice, especially economic injustice. That's one of the main things Micah focuses on through these seven chapters um, is the injustice of of, Israel of Israel and Judah, but he's primarily preaching to Judah um, and, and, and telling them, like, hey, God isn't standing for this, and this isn't going to, you're, God's not going to put up with this for much longer. Um, so he's, it's, it's essentially a, um, this, this book is essentially a, uh, a, a, a proclamation of judgment for God's people, because of the injustices that they have um, committed, the idolatry they've committed with money and, and pagan, um, pagan gods. And yeah, so that's what Micah is about. So last week we ended with a note of judgment. Micah is saying God is going to come, and there was no real hope, note of hope or redemption in the last chapter of Micah. Uh, Micah 2 is also pretty gr- uh, is also pretty grim, um, but we do get two verses of some hope and some promise of redemption, as we start uh, as we finish up Micah 2. So we'll see that at the very end of Micah 2. All right, so I titled Micah 2 Woe to the Covetous and Comfortable. The primary message of Micah 2 is um, is that judgment will come to those who covet and those who are comfortable, and we'll kind of see in what context Micah is talking about those two sins specifically. So, is there anything you want to add before we jump into Micah two? No, nope. about Micah one or Micah. All right. So, I'm going to read Micah two all the way through, and then we'll kind of go back and um, and and break it down a little bit a little bit more. So, Micah Micah two. Alas, for those who devise wickedness and evil deeds on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it, because it is in their power. They covet fields and seize them, houses and take them away. They oppress householder and house, people and their inheritance. Therefore, thus says the Lord. Now I am devising against this, e- this family an evil from which you cannot remove your necks. And you shall not walk haughtily, for it will be an evil time. On that day, they shall take up a taunt song against you and wail with bitter lamentation and say, we are utterly ruined. The Lord alters the inheritance of my people, how he removes it from me. Among our captors, he parcels out our fields. Therefore, you will have no one to cast the line by lot in the assembly of the Lord. Do not preach, thus they preach. One should not preach of such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. Should this be said, O house of Jacob? Is the Lord's patience exhausted? Are these his doings? Do not my words do good to one who walks uprightly? But you rise up against my people as an enemy. You strip the robe from the peaceful, from those who pass by trustingly with no thought of war. The women of my people you drive out from their pleasant houses, and their young children you take away my glory forever. Arise and go. For this is no place to rest because of uncleanness that destroys with a grievous destruction. If someone were to go about uttering empty falsehoods, saying, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink, such a one would be the preacher for this people. I will surely gather all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the survivors of Israel, I will set them together like sheep. In a fold, like a flock in its pasture, it will resound with people. The one who breaks out will go up before them. They will break through and pass the gate, going out by it. Their king will pass on before them, the Lord at their head. All right. Any first impressions from that second chapter? Just emotions, observations? What strikes to you? What stands out? Still,
1: still with really the dark. two good
0: verses. What's that? Oh, sorry. <laughs> I
2: just said still really dark. Yeah, it is.
0: It is still really dark. Yeah. Which
2: but, were the two good verses?
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. It's the last two. Yeah. Um, there's a promise of of gathering up the remnant here and... Okay and God becoming their king like being recognized as their king again um, but you're right it's it's still pretty grim yeah and even that even those promises it's like there will be a remnant like most of you aren't going to be part of that <laughs> um, it, this is going to be this is going to be rough yeah so Micah 2 oh was someone going to say something did I cut someone off? Okay. Um, Micah 2 is broken up into approximately three sections. So this first section is um, is what I said, what I call the woe to the covetous, the woe to those who covet, um, and then woe to the comfortable, those who only seek out hearing the words that they want to hear, and then these brief verses of um, of restoration, of promise, of some sort of hope <laughs> at the end. So, um, I think one of the, this is, so this is the NRSV translation. Um, I think one of the, this is one of the best translations of this chapter, um, but there are a few things. So one of them is alas, a better a better word there is woe, um, that, that this is a woe oracle, which is a type of oracle in prophecy that is specifically an expression of grievance, of lamentation, of God proclaiming Judgment and woe um, to those who, who do not uphold the covenant with God. Um, so woe to, woe, woe to those who devise wickedness and evil deeds on their beds. Um, one scholar thinks that on their beds is a, is a way of saying their evil schemes have been so embedded in their minds that they're even dreaming about it. So that's one way of, of thinking about all this on their beds line. Um, and then the whole rest of it, including verse one, this whole set of five, five, verses is, um, kind of like an illustration of why one of the commandments is you shall not covet. Um, and God is saying you, you explicitly disobeyed that commandment and now a lot of people are suffering because throughout all of this, it's talking about coveting the fields, coveting the land specifically and land in this time, which, you know, it's, it's somewhat still true today, but even more so in, in the ancient world, land was how people survived. If you didn't have land, you didn't have anything. Um, and especially those who controlled land, the more land you controlled, the more power you had. Um, but not only that, and that was true for all ancient civilizations, um, but even more so for Israel, land... And tribal inheritances and family land was a really important underst it, it was really important for how the, God's people as a whole, Israel and Judah, understood a land. I mean, you remember like when um when Jacob's sons, when they were given all of um, when they when they had the land, they they were given out specific areas of this new land that they were they were coming to. and so, Uh, The year of Jubilee is all about land going back to where it belongs. So land is really important. God made that very, very clear from the very beginning of Israel that land is really important, that people needed land, that, that justice regarding the land is really central to God's people and their relationships with each other and their relationship with God. And so coveting land is a really profound sin, and God is calling it out here. Um, so that's, that's what's happening in verse one. Um, another important observation I think is, is that second half of verse one, because it is in their power. God is saying, just because you have the power to do something does not mean that I condone it. Just because you have the money or the means or the influence to do something doesn't mean that God gave you that power or that money or that influence. Um, and it doesn't mean that God condones however you use it. Okay, Um, so they covet the fields and seize them, houses, and take them away. They oppress the householder and house people and their inheritance. So we hear all of this language from, from the Old Testament laws. Therefore, thus says the Lord, now I am devising against this family an evil from which you cannot remove your necks, and you shall not walk haughtily, for it will be an evil time. So God is... Taking, it's, it's, um, it's called, what's the phrase for it? It's called a lex talionis. It's a kind of justice in kind. What, it, what these people of wickedness have been planning and plotting for the people they are oppressing, God is going to turn that against them. and it's going Their sin is going to play out where they are actually going to be the ones who, who suffer and have their land taken away. Um, the language of you, from which you cannot remove your neck. So when I first read this, I pictured more of a noose, <laughs> but it's more yoke imagery. Um, so, so being burdened by a yoke like an ox where they cannot walk haughtily, you can't walk upright, um, and you cannot remove it from your neck. Um, so God is scheming and devising against the people who are scheming and devising evil against others. Let's see if there's anything else I want to say about this. Um, yeah. Oh, and then in verses four to five. Um, so a taunt song is a type of war song that where, where you're literally taunted. Like the winners, the ca- the, the captor, the, those who capture, those who are victorious, those who are winning, they taunt the losers. Um, we actually get several taunt songs in Scripture, Deborah's song is a type of taunt taunt song. A couple psalms are kind of like taunt songs. Miriam's song. Miriam's song, yeah, that's good, is a type of taunt song where they're kind of taunting the people who lost. And so it's being flipped. Now it's Israel who's being taunted, um, specifically the people who had been devising wickedness. Um, And they are saying, we are utterly ruined. One translation says ravaged. We are ravaged. In the same way that they ravaged the people that they took from. Um yeah. And so God is taking the land that they were, that they coveted and took from others. He is now parceling out that land, that same land, to Israel's captors, to the captors of God's people. Um yeah. Is there anything you want to add to these first, those first five set of verses? Set of five verses.
2: I think that you've summarized it really well. Um, I, I, I do find it interesting that, you know, we talked a lot last week about God's judgment mm-hmm. um, and how we don't... That's not necessarily something that we're always comfortable talking about, but Micah makes it clear that the 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 judgment, one, God is interested in what's happening among God's people. And mm-hmm. so and because God loves God's people, um, that is why judgment has to happen mm-hmm. in order to to um, kind of right some of these wrongs. But God's judgment is also just. Um, you know, they lay awake devising God who never sleeps mm-hmm. it can also do some devising um, in order to help those who are oppressed. Yeah.
1: Um,
2: and I think that your point about power was really interesting too. Um, God knows that when you have power, you can take more and more and more mm-hmm. power. And that's what the year of Jubilee was all about, is redistributing power, redistributing land, setting free captives. It's, it's reminding people, no, 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 the whole goal is not to get more and more. The whole goal is to live well with one another in community and to live well with God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they hadn't been doing this, and so God is going to do it for them almost. Yeah. Um, just as a reminder, no, 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 this power does not belong to you. It, mm-hmm. it should always belong to God. Yeah,
0: that's great.
1: Yeah, it's thank you. It's fascinating to me. Um, I say this. I said it last week. It, it so correlates. I've always known all along that the ultimate thing is uh, power after money, mm-hmm. and uh, you can see that in our society, locally and you know nationally and whatever. But that's the ultimate success, I guess you would say, and uh, that fascinates me because it just. It's like that was written today. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Absolutely. And I thought of it
2: in regard to a lesson this morning
1: with the power when he talked about David and how he abused his power. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you just see it, you know. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, we live in one of the wealthiest nations to ever exist, and yet the disparity between those who have... Mm -hmm billions of dollars and those who can't feed their children or get internet so their kids can do virtual learning uh, is, is very stark because of, of a system that, that says no more and more power is good.
0: Yeah, there's a um, a really powerful image of that. Hang on just a second. I'm going to show us really fast because I think this is an important... Um... Well, she's doing that. I know I'm typing it really slowly. Go ahead. Will,
1: <laughs> I, I've always heard there were three ways to really know someone. One is to give them a little party. One mm. is to loan them money. The other is to marry them. <laughs> <laughs> somebody
0: in authority, if if they're a good person, it's not going to go to their head. That's right. right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So I, oh, whoops. Um. I just my my husband sent me this this morning. So this little pixel right here is a thousand dollars. This is the median U.S. household income for over the course of a year. This little square represents a million dollars. This blue bar represents a billion dollars, so this is all to scale. And this is Jeff Bezos' wealth. It keeps going forever. Like, ew! It, it keeps going so. And this I'll, I'll just this
2: is after he lost 25% of it to his divorce, too. This we're
0: when, about a, so we're about a third of the way right now. When he when he got a divorce,
2: his wife suddenly became the 16th wealthiest person <laughs> in in the entire world. That's how much wealth he had. Is that a quarter of it made somebody? the 16th wealthiest person in the world. This is all
0: the money you will ever earn in your entire life from the day you were born until the day you die. That little blue square. <laughs> Annual cost of healthcare for a family of four. Annual pay of an Amazon warehouse worker. That little pixel. Annual pay. Annual cost to house every single homeless veteran. We are still scrolling through Jeff Bezos' wealth. Ooh. Anyway, it keeps going. It takes forever to get to the end. Um, I kept scrolling for like forever. There's like a little bar here, so I'll just fly through it. Yeah. And then this is the 400 richest Americans. This blue bar, which is like trillions of dollars. Anyway. I read this to I my Nate sent me that link yesterday and I clicked on it and I started scrolling on it as I was kind of like also like doing last you know kind of uh, additional prep for Micah this morning, and I was like wow relevant
2: yeah
0: yeah um and it even does some things of like what um what wealth is for some of the rich like the wealthiest people um and it's. It's like the rich and the super rich, there's such a large gap between them that we can't even imagine it. Like saying a billion dollars is, or 200 billion dollars or 3.5 trillion dollars is so incomprehensible in terms of a wealth gap that it's like saying 25 quintillion, million, trillion, bajillion dollars. Like it doesn't mean anything to us because these numbers are so absurd. But anyway, relevant, just do without what you will. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I think the one that
2: shows, You know, the cost of an Amazon warehouse, the average pay of an Mm -hmm. Amazon worker. I think that's important because Mm -hmm. this is, that's exactly what Micah is talking about. Those of you that are in power, the way that you're treating those that you have power over Mm -hmm. is nowhere near equitable. It's nowhere near um, what God has originally designed this covenant community to be about. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's good yeah like um beyonce's little square on that thing is just like it's it's just like a tiny like it all fits on one screen, and so it's like there's still room for wealth to exist, even kind of extravagant wealth to exist, without that kind of ridiculous amount of power, which I think I don't know. this is a political statement which profits are very political, and I think that's appropriate. Um, you know it 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 puts it in perspective in terms of how we how we are just to our neighbors. Um, okay. Anything else you want to say about that first section on covetousness and wealth? It and doesn't
1: apply, but I've seen it where it isn't always just money.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, money is a means to power, yeah. but money there are all kinds of ways. outward showing of it, but some people get a lot of power
1: because they built that power, mm-hmm. per se. And I don't people like that and uh, thinking you know I have more money than he does mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. somebody in the community that, that has influence a lot of Sorry. different things besides money yeah. that can give you power yeah uh, if I have a business and you work for me then I have power over you Mm-hmm. So totally those kinds of things and, and so uh, it's quite a broad Right. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm-hmm. No, it is. Well
2: and I don't I don't think Micah would ever suggest that that money is bad. I think and we'll get to this in later chapters. I think what he's concerned about is, yeah, these people are tithing, you know, they're going to synagogue, they're Mm -hmm. uh or maybe not synagogue, but they're they're doing their the worship and they're practicing Sabbath and all of these things. And other ways that they're using their money or their power or their influence is harming people mm-hmm. and God says no I don't just want your tithes I don't just want your sabbath I want every mm-hmm. bit of
0: you yeah um,
2: you don't get to hold anything back and say that
1: oh I'm tithing
0: mm-hmm. and even God's concern
1: my favorite stories when I first uh, was a teenager and learned a little bit about religion per se is when they were talking about how they would leave the corners the yes mmhmm uh, Cleaning. Kind of yeah. yeah. But it's sort of like oh you are uh it's a reverse thinking of it you know, and Absolutely.
0: Mm-hmm. Plus it's good. And Orthodox Jews who who leave their sideburns like you know, those curls, um, with Orthodox Jews, that's for people who don't have land, that is a physical reminder that you are supposed to leave the equivalent of the corners of your fields to, to care for. So they leave the corners of their hair. As a reminder, we are supposed to l- do the equivalent. Even if we don't have land to leave a corner of our fields, we are supposed to do the so that we are caring for the poor. Um, and I forget where it says it, but, you know, the worker deserves the worker's ra- wages, his or her wages. And so money isn't inherently bad, but you're right. As an expression of power, it... Um, it is, it is really key, um, and there is a lot of discussion about economic injustice specifically, and money is, you know, we are prone to greed and covet and, and covetousness, um, and that can take a lot of forms, but money, I think, is a really important one, and one that Micah is very concerned with here, because land was money at this time. Yeah. To me, mm-hmm. the,
1: the first verse also says you should watch what you spend your time thinking
0: Totally, yes. Because it
1: becomes your,
0: you, know, Yes.
1: Thoughts become words and once words are spoken people are to back up so it becomes, an mm-hmm. action, and then it becomes a life. And then it becomes a lifestyle.
0: Absolutely.
1: Obviously they were doing it for a long time. And maybe once, you know. Okay, but you know, they obviously were making that hat Mm-hmm.
0: Like, how stuff yes. Can
1: make, can to man. Really?
0: That's yeah. the point. There's one scholar who phrases uh, who reflecting on this these verses of Micah phrases it as um, sin originates in the greedy imaginations of our hearts. That it's, it's something about our imagination imagines ourselves with power and prestige and wealth and fame and control. And, and that, that medita- those meditations of our hearts, um, they, they prompt us to act unjustly and to take from others and to disproportionately serve ourselves. Yeah, no, that's a really, really important observation. Okay, it's like
1: you're, it? Mm-hmm. Not of
0: Absolutely, yeah. And there's a difference between taking care of yourself and taking care only of yourself or taking too much for yourself. Yeah. 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 Good. This is a great conversation. I really appreciate this. Okay. So in response to that, Micah now is quoting what his what his um, what his opponents are saying, what the people he is preaching to, the way they're responding. They're telling Micah, don't preach. One should not preach of such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. So they are saying, Micah's kind of almost mockingly saying, like, you're telling me not to preach because you think nothing bad is going to happen to you, and you just want to hear things that are comfortable and nice for yourself. Um... And that, that was something we talked about last week with false prophets that false prophets would take money and they would preach whatever they wanted, whatever their audiences wanted them to preach, whatever they needed to preach in order to get paid. And so Micah here is kind of returning to that of, um, of you just want me to preach nice things, you want your prophets to preach nice things to you, and you're ignoring the reality of, of, what, of what, what God is telling you. Um, so verse seven is kind of interesting. Some translations put verse seven as a continuation of the quote of, of the quote that Micah's opponents are saying, so the quotation marks would actually end right here. Oh, sorry, right here, at the end of verse seven. Um, th- the reason that it's a little bit hazy is because this translation here is very murky in the Hebrew. Um, it's not clear what, what this phrase means. So the NRSV translates it as, should this be said, O house of Jacob, in which case it'd be really natural to end the quotes right here. Um, another way of ending it would be like, um, sh- is like, what is said of the house of Jacob, in which case it could be the opponents that are continuing this, this saying, what 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 is to be said of the house of Jacob? The house of Jacob is God's chosen people. How could we be um, disinherited from that? The Lord is patient. Um, bad things aren't aren't God's doings. And then this this question mark in that ca- this question in that case would apply to them, saying, "We walk uprightly. God must be with us." And That could be a kind of prosperity, a a different version of the prosperity gospel, if this quote, if this chunk belongs to this quotation also. Um, This is kind of like a variation of the prosperity gospel in terms of like, we have wealth, we have power, that must mean God gave it to us. Um, And if God gave it to us, then we are blessed, we are chosen, and we can do what we want with it. So anyway, that's just to say verse 7 is a little bit of a murky... um, of a murky translation, either way, I think it's, I, I, you know, either way, Micah is either saying, um, mocking them for saying, no, just because you have wealth and power doesn't mean that you can use it the way you want to, or in this case, if the quote does end here, he's saying, um, God does rightly for those who walk uprightly, and God does good for those who walk uprightly, and that's not you. So, either way, it kind of means the same thing. Those are just two different ways of kind of reading verse 7. Does that make sense? I know it's kind of hard to explain that. Was that, did that make sense? Okay. Um,
2: it's also, you know, in, in their theology, in, in Deuteronomy and other places, God says, if you follow my commandments, things will go well for you. Mm-hmm. If you don't, there will be destruction. Mm-hmm. And so this is almost them saying... what are you you talking about? We're doing good things. God's going to bless us Mm -hmm. or has blessed us. um, And it's kind of a refusal to acknowledge their own complicity in some things as well.
0: Yeah. That's good. Anything else on those first couple verses? Um, Okay. So then... Micah goes on to say, but you rise up against my people as an enemy. Another translation of that verse is kind of like the the message of the Hebrew in this first line of verse 8 is like this is essentially a civil war. This is an enemy that is rising up from within God's people. It's God's people rising up against God's people that God is judging. You strip the rope from the peaceful, from those who pass by trustingly with no thought of war. The women of my people, you drive out from their pleasant houses, from their young children, you take away my glory forever. So the image here is that the enemy, the enemy within Israel, within God's people, they're dispossessing the widows, which as we know, God is very concerned with the widows and the orphans, um, taking advantage of them, taking advantage of others who who are vulnerable and peaceful and have no thought of of harming and you're attacking them. Um, And so in response, we have verse 10. We have God saying, arise and go, for this is no place to rest. So God's land, the land, again, we're back to the land, the land that God gave to God's people that was meant to be a place flowing with milk and honey, meant to be a place of rest. God is saying, this is no longer a place of rest. You, You have decided to reject my gift of goodness. Um, of provision, of protection, of presence, God is removing all of that from, from these people who have chosen to um, to reject God's covenant with them. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, and then in verse 11, if someone were to go about uttering empty falsehoods, saying, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink, such a one would be the preacher for this people. So Micah is telling them, I'm not going to be like the false prophets who tell you just whatever you want to hear. Um, and he's saying, he's also kind of, again, it's, it's a sort of a, m- a mocking tone. Now, Micah, I use the word mocking. Micah loves his people. Like, we saw that in Micah 1. Like, Micah strongly identifies with his people and laments with them. But he's also kind of throwing their words back in their face and showing them the the lack of logic they are expressing. I think out of love um, and out of a desire to see them do rightly. Um, but anyway, he's he's saying that here. He's saying all you want is someone is is preaching that will essentially anesthetize you. It will make you comfortable. It will um, pamper you and coddle you, and that's what you're looking for. And that's not that's not what I'm doing. But. Man, if if there was a preacher who was just like, "Oh yeah, just drink and have you know, get drunk and be numb," that would be the preacher that you would want. And that's not me. It's kind of what Mike is saying in verse eleven. Let's see if there's anything else I want to say. Um, I think that's it. Okay. Any comments on? Do you have anything you want to add on verses six to eleven in this section? No?
1: no.
0: Any other observations? I feel like this too is extremely relevant. We seek out, we seek out preachers that we like and make us feel good. Feel good preaching.
1: I keep giving things I've observed uh, uh, super wealthy people, and that's always. The other guy. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, a lot of times when they pass away, to watch what it does to the families mm. and things, and you can see the evilness in it that it can be. It doesn't have to be. Um, children, wives, mm-hmm. you know, remarried and it's just utter chaos. Mm-hmm. And
0: uh, siblings turn against each other to get more of the inheritance. Oh. Yeah. Oh,
1: Power. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they actually say that. But they want the money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is the power. And it's uh, always fascinating to me to see. Uh, I just read an article, I don't even know who it was. Uh, a divorce of some wealthy people, and the woman now is the wealthiest woman in America. Mm-hmm. And so that's, I mean, that's got to be rewarding. I think. Is that Jeff Bezos' wife? It is.
0: Yeah, that would yeah. be, yeah, the guy who's. Bar of wealth. We were just scrolling through. That's his wife. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And she's now the wealthiest woman in the United States. Or, mm-hmm. or whatever. Mhm. Mhm. And I thought, you know, that's fascinating to me. How yep. powerful that is. Mm-hmm. It is. And, uh, I guess every society, because this goes way back. Yeah.
0: It's absolutely. Yep. It's it's absolutely true. This speaks just as much to us as it does to, as it did to them. Well, I think.
2: Another thing that stands out to me is this this line: "One should not preach of such things." Mm-hmm. I think that that's something that we hear a lot in our society yeah. too. Oh, preacher, don't preach about those things! And I think what Micah is reminding us is: no, no, no. If it has to do with people, it has to do with God. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, certainly we should not be. Um, um, advocating for any particular political candidate. <laughs> and mm-hmm. when you think of politics as the way people interact with one another, uh, that's what politics is about, right? Like getting street signs and speed limit signs and how we're going to live in community with one another. Mm-hmm. All of the Old Testament reminds us that God is very interested in that.
0: How we live, how in, community, we live yeah. in
2: community with each
0: other. Absolutely. And so,
2: um, Yes, there are. We should never say, as a church, we are on the side of this political candidate. But we should, we should care about how we interact with one another. Micah is reminding us that there is no part of our lives that's off limits mm-hmm. to having God examine it. Mm-hmm. And so, if you say, "Okay, God, I'll give you everything except X,"
0: my political ideology. <laughs> that's
2: right. <laughs> that's right. Uh, or you know,
0: my money. <laughs> or my money. Or my
2: pride. Or my social standing. Or whatever it is. Uh, that's not that's not enough. Okay. God wants all of it. He wants your entire heart.
0: Yeah. That's really Whatever good. Whatever it is that we won't give up is, is an idol. That's right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. If so. the thought of giving it up makes you break out in a cold sweat, maybe
0: maybe that's the thing that you have turned into it. a god. Yeah. yeah. That's good. That's a really that's good I'm
1: observation. People on the defense, they make fun of what you like. And then you know what they like, so you bring that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I tell you way more than they
0: maintain, do up there. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I like your your point about one should one should not preach as such things. It doesn't mean that every sermon you hear you have to agree with. Um, and but if if our instinct is to say that should be left out of the pulpit, that should be left out of our conversations of how we exist with each other and with God and, and what our relationships are like. I mean, sin, what is sin? Sin is broken relationships between us and each other, us and God, us and creation, us and ourselves even. And that is all, That I mean, that is all encompassing. Um, and so for instance, that should be left out of church, that should be left out of the community of God's people, that should be left out of our conversations, of justice and peace and forgiveness and mercy and goodness and righteousness. I don't know. That's Micah seems to be saying that that's that nothing is off limits yeah. to God, like Becky said. Yeah. That's good. Really good stuff. Okay. The last couple verses. This is uh <laughs> this is supposed to be the hopeful verses. <laughs> um <laughs> The It's a brief, a very brief oracle of salvation. Um, so this is God speaking now. Micah, God, Micah is using this first-person first pronoun now in place of God. I will surely gather all of you, O Jacob, all of you, O God's people. I will gather the survivors of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture. It will resound with people. So... Um, so this whole oracle of uh, the, this oracle of judgment leading up to these verses in chapters one and most of chapter two is all about, there will be an enemy who comes and, and devastates God's people because of the way you have devastated each other. So essentially Micah is predicting the exile. And, um, and here is a brief promise of despite the exile, despite the judgment that you will Despite and because of, because of the judgment you will experience, there will be survivors, and I will gather them up. I will not abandon God's people, even through all of this judgment, even through the exile. Um, I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture. We hear a lot of of, uh, resounding images of of shepherding and um, peace. Thinking of, like, Psalm 23, Jesus as the shepherd. There's lots of, of imagery that's familiar in those couple lines. Um, it will resound with people. Um, the it here is actually a Hebrew feminine they, um, which probably refers to the towns of Judah, because towns are a um, feminine pronoun, or uh, yeah, a feminine pronoun in Hebrew. So this is probably saying, th- this is more like saying, um, the cities will again be full of people. God's people will return to the cities of Judah, and they will be full and vibrant and full of life again is what that last line means. Um, the one who breaks out will go up before them. They will break through and pass the gate going out by it. Um, here is imagery of breaching, like breaching a wall that, that keeps exiles in, that keeps ca- uh, like enemies out. Um, God is saying that God will break through that wall. The one who breaks out is a reference to God. Um, will go up before them. So God will lead them out of exile and then they will break through the wall and they will pass the gate going out by it. This might also mean passing through it as if it was a gate, which means the, the hole in the wall that God will break through in such dramatic ways that they will walk right through the wall as if it were a gate. Um, and their king will pass on before them the Lord at their head. The structure here in these last two lines, their king and the lord, um, is is a parallelism where we're supposed to read the king as the Lord. Because you know, Israel begged for a king and God resisted at first because God is the ultimate king. And God's people, just like now, we forget that God is the king. Um, and so this is God reminding them: I am your king, I am your leader, I am your head. Um, I will go before you, I will be at your head. So, um, let me see if there's anything. Yeah. A picture. Yeah, so this is also a picture of a new exodus. Um, so another, another image of God breaking God's people free, releasing them from captivity, leading them to freedom, leading them to um, a place of peace and provision again. Yeah. So God is the hero in these last couple verses. God is saying, I will restore you, I will liberate you, I will shepherd you, I will save you. Okay, those are all my observations. Do you have any observations in the last couple verses? Uh,
2: Just to kind of reiterate what we talked about last week as far as judgment, um, God's judgment is always for the purposes of bringing people back to God. Mm -hmm. Um, God is not... um, in the business of just being an angry God, striking people down for fun the way some of the other um, gods, maybe even in this time, were um, that you had to appease by sacrificing certain things. God longs to be known uh, deeply by God's people, and so any any judgment is meant to purify and bring people back to god mm-hmm. again it's an expression of god's love and it's difficult for us to reconcile sometimes how is that the loving thing to do but then again when we see the way that they are treating people perhaps the
0: loving thing to do is to remind them then and now this is what you've been called to yeah, so absolutely it's interesting we I feel like especially right now in 2020 people are like oh 2020 is just the year and it's just terrible and all this but i mean so much of what we're experiencing in 2020 besides besides the pandemic and stuff i mean the wildfires in california i have a lot of family in california for example and um but a lot of the things that we're experiencing we're like oh man 2020 is just the worst as if it's 2020's fault that all this stuff is happening when really it's it's poor structures and it's climate change and it's lots of other things that are um causing problems and these are the kind of the natural results of a lot of poor choices humans have made and policies that are n- not great <laughs> and um, and 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 sometimes the way to reverse bad things is to experience them and then we can and, and that's not I'm not saying wildfires are god's judgment but they are a result of human choices and um, and it's sometimes experiencing that that can actually prompt us to make better choices that serve people better. Yeah. Does that make sense? Well and one of the do you things, want to nuance that at all?
2: One of the things that I've heard about the wildfires is that is that California is now saying, hey, the people that lived here for centuries and centuries used to do controlled burns mm-hmm. in order to prevent these uncontrolled burns from happening. Perhaps there's something to that. Mm-hmm. And it almost feels like that's what God is saying you're this is an uncontrolled burn the Mm. way that you're treating people this power hungry all of this so i'm going to control this situation Mm -hmm. so that this doesn't get out of hand anymore so yes there are natural consequences and and god is stepping into the middle of this saying and i'm going to use that as a way to bring people back to me
0: Mm -hmm. yeah so much of the evil or not even evil but so much of the Bad stuff where we say, like, oh, if there's a God, how could God allow this to happen kind of thing? So much of that, so many of those things are a result of our individual sin naturally playing itself out or our communal sin naturally playing itself out and the consequences of those showing up. And and oftentimes God's judgment takes the form of our sins playing themselves out. (laughs) The choices we've made having their natural consequences and God allowing that to happen in order to orient us back to God, not to make us miserable, but to bring us back.
2: I, I would, and I, I'm i not saying you're saying this, but yeah. I have heard the temptation of people, especially Christians who are maybe a little bit removed from a disaster, mm-hmm. saying, oh, well, that hurricane or that thing is God's judgment against that particular yeah. place. Yeah. I, I do think that one of the things to remember about Micah is Micah is from the people. Mm-hmm. Micah loves the people, identifies with the people, and is, is not casting judgment on somebody far away, but is introspectively saying this is how we as a community need to be better. Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, I, I think in the middle of, of suffering and chaos in your own life, it's 100% appropriate to say, what might God be trying to teach me? Or, mm-hmm. or even, even if, you know, if, if you don't believe that God is responsible for this, because I don't necessarily, I think sometimes there are bad people that make bad decisions in that, but I can still learn from it. I can still draw closer to God because of it. But I would I would hesitate to say to somebody else, this is how you should Absolutely. respond to God in this, or this
0: is what God is doing to you here. Um, That's a really great nuance. Thank you. Yeah, and I think climate change is a really good example of that, because so many of climate change's adverse effects are dis- disproportionately affect the countries that have least contributed to climate change and to carbon emissions. Like, you, wh- yeah. and it's it's the reason that like Westerners have, mm. are it's easier for a lot of people in Europe and North America to reject that climate change exists. Um, but there's no one in the Southern Hemisphere, in Southeast Asia, in Africa, Nate and I lived in Africa for a year, there's no one in those areas of the world that, that don't believe that climate change exists because they, they experience it regularly. So absolutely, sometimes our adverse choices, they do play themselves out. They don't always directly affect the people who caused it. Um, so I think climate change is a really good example. And a lot of the natural disasters that we see in our world right now are results of climate changes, of, of climate change. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Anything else about these last couple verses or about this chapter? Thank you. Yeah. There's you. more hope
2: coming. There's more judgment. Yes. <laughs> but there there is some beautiful hope. Later on, Micah really
0: eases into it. Like Micah one has no hope. This one has two verses that are so subtle that you, exactly your question of like which two verses were the hopeful ones. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> but we will get to some hope because um, God is a God of hope for sure. Cool. Good. Anything else you want to add? That's it. Great. Thank you all so much for yeah. A great thank discussion. you for being here. Yeah, really, this was great really discussion. I did have discussion questions, but man, we. We had so much great discussion as we went. We didn't even get to this. We don't want any discussion. None here. Yep. (laughs) Thank you all so much. Well,
2: y'all have a great week. Yeah. Thank you. you. I'm going to bring that handout for you guys next week. Okay. (laughs)